Amen. I'm, I'm sure that you've, you've caught on to it. I'm sure I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, if you turn on the television, if you read a newspaper, if you get on the internet, you, you, you see it. Uh, it. It's everywhere unless you've been under a rock. Uh, you know that there's a growing plague of, of criticism and, and skepticism in our land today. And I mean to tell you, just turn on a news station. I did this the other day and just just pick any news station of, of your choosing and turn it on. And what you'll see there is something uh, that's a little saddening, to be honest, because when you turn on the news, you'll notice nobody ever interviews anybody anymore. It's, it's not really an interview. It's always it always has an agenda. You know, they, they bring somebody on and then they have an agenda and they seek to discredit whoever they bring on that stands in the way of their agenda. And, and, and that's all. And it doesn't matter what station it is. I mean, it can be left wing. It can be right wing. It can be in the middle uh, if there is such a station. And, and, and you can you can turn those things on and, and you just see these people. They're attacking. They're criticizing anyone that stands in the way of their agenda. And, and you just listen to that. You, you read that. And you're going you're gonna to sense this tone of, uh, of anger, of accusation, of skepticism. And it's often just a, a, a spirit that's downright mean and ugly. And, and friends, I, here, here's my fear. I, I'm afraid that that spirit has worked its way into the church. And, and that that spirit of criticism and skepticism has, has now focused its attention on, on this important celebration of God's incarnation that we call and celebrate as Christmas. And if you don't believe me, just let me share with you some of the things that Christians are, are now saying about Christmas. And I want this is kind of, this may surprise some of you. It's kind of a newer trend, but there's a lot of Christians that are actually attacking the celebration of, of Christmas. And I want to read to you some quotes from, from actual believers. I've got three of them for you this morning. Here's the first. One person writes, I cannot find Christmas in the Bible, uh, nor can I find that Jesus Christ told us to observe Christmas. For that matter, Christmas is false, since it has nothing to do with Christ or his birthday. Okay? Let me, let me, let me show you another one. Another person writes, it is a historical fact. Boy, this is a smart individual. It's a historical fact that Christmas is not the day or season when Christ was born. So why observe a day that is a lie? One more. How does a Christmas tree depict Christ? Celebrating Christmas violates the first, second, and third commandments of God's Ten Commandments. Observing a pagan holiday is a sin. So, what do we do in the face of such skepticism and criticism? Should we just pack up all the decorations and take down the, the tree and just call it quits? Or should we dig a little deeper? See if there's anything to these accusations. I choose the second option there. I'd like to dig a little deeper with you this morning. If you don't mind, uh, I want to tackle some of these questions head on. And we're going to begin with this question. Here's the big one. Uh, really, that everything will be centered around this morning. Was Jesus born on December 25th? All right. Are, are, are we are we celebrating the right thing? Was Jesus born on on December 25th? And it's become popular in, in modern theology uh, circles to say that Jesus was probably born in the spring. Uh, that's what everybody says. But but uh, hold on. Don't buy in it. Remember, 
popular theology is not necessarily good theology. We covered that earlier on in this series. Okay, so now it's popular today to say that Jesus was born in the spring. I'm going to present a little evidence to you this morning that might mess with your popular theology a little bit. But 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 anyway, so was he born on the 25th? Now, this is where the argument comes from. It's all based on Luke 2, 8. Okay, Luke 2, 8 says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks. And here's how the argument goes. Uh, there's no way that shepherds would be out in the fields uh, in December. It would be too cold. It'd be too cold for shepherds to be out in the field in December. So there's absolutely no way, impossible, improbable, that the shepherds were really in the field. Jesus couldn't have been born, therefore, in December. He must have been born in the spring when the shepherds actually took their flocks out into the fields. Now, of course, that doesn't account for uh, a warm winter season. Uh, it doesn't account for, for anything different that God could have done. But we're not going to get into that right now. Now, listen. Ah. If we follow that thought and we say December 25th, uh, and, and, and here, here, let me finish the argument. I'm sorry, I left it half, half open. So, so since, since shepherds couldn't be out in the fields December 25th, there's no way uh, this could be possible. Therefore, here's the argument. Therefore, uh, people say, you know, Christmas was actually, December 25th was actually just chosen by a pope. His name is Pope Julius, by the way. That Pope Julius just chose this date uh, of December 25th in 385, you might want to write down that date, that's important, 385 AD, to challenge the pagan celebration to the Roman god uh, Saturnalia. Now, so here, here's the deal. No way that the shepherds could have been there, it'd be too cold. Therefore, Pope Julius, 385 AD, uh, just chose this date uh, to, to basically try to eliminate a, a pagan holiday uh, that people were celebrating to false gods. Okay, so that, that, that's the argument. Now, listen, if that's all that Scripture told us about the birth of Jesus, um, then we would probably be in trouble. We'd, like I said, just take down the tree, pull down the lights, let's just call it, call it uh, quits. But luckily, the full counsel of God's Word actually teaches us a little bit more about the significance of Christmas. So I want to begin this morning, before I start answering the questions, I want to begin by painting a biblical portrait of why Christmas is important, okay? So let's start with this. Reasons uh, why Christmas is important, or reasons to celebrate um, Christmas. Let's, let's begin here with number one. The first reason that we should celebrate Christmas is because the birth of Jesus was important to God. Turn with me, uh, if you don't mind, to... The book of Luke, chapter 2. The book of Luke, chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading uh, in, in verse 8. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll continue on and, and break this up a little bit here this morning. Luke, chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Uh, says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now. I want you to see this this morning. Christmas is important. It's worth celebrating because the birth of Jesus was important to God. Now, now let me show you. What do we do when something important happens in our lives? What do we do? We let our loved ones know about it, don't we? I mean, you, you just you just think about it. When a big event happens, we we, uh, we we put a picture and a caption up in Facebook, right? Hannah took her first steps. 
We, we post a video, uh, upload a video to YouTube, right? Look, Josh rode his bike without training wheels. We send out a postcard in the mail. Billy is graduating from college. Jennifer is getting married. It's a big deal. Those big moments in life, we want to share with the people that we love the most. And so we capture those moments and we invite people in to celebrate with us. I want you to see that's exactly what God is doing in Luke chapter 10. He sends not not a postcard. He doesn't upload a video. God sends an angel. He sends a messenger of the Lord. And he sends him in person to deliver the great news. And he comes to the shepherds in the field and he says, listen, today... Today on this day, something great is happening. My son, your savior is being born. He sends to the shepherd, this messenger that says, hello, the Messiah, the good shepherd is now on his way. You should celebrate. Why should you celebrate Christmas? Because Christmas is a big deal to God. It's such a big deal to God that God sent out an invitation that all would celebrate with him. It's a big deal to God. More than that. So we move on. The birth of Jesus is important to the messengers of God. According to Scripture, Luke 2, 13 and 14. Let's, let's finish this story here. Let's read on. It says, verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And it says, When the angels left them uh, and went back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. So, so get this. Here's the picture. God sends an angel, one angel, to the shepherds. And the shepherds are there in the field. And, and he announced, announces to them the birth of Jesus Christ. God is so excited. This is the great birth announcement of His Son and our Savior, Jesus. And, and, and guess what? The angels couldn't stay in heaven. They, they couldn't contain themselves with the joy that was filling them. They, they had to come, and so they show up to these same shepherds. And it says, get this, and not just a few of them. I don't know what your picture is. Maybe you think, well, you know, maybe five, six, seven, eight angels. The, 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 the Bible says this. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host, that, 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 that word company in Greek, it refers to an army. It's a word used to refer to the stars in the sky, folks. A great multitude, as many as the stars in the sky, showed up to these shepherds. Are you freaking out yet? They're in the fields and an army of angels, as many as, as you might see stars in the sky on any one night, show up to these guys. And what are they doing? They are celebrating the birth of Jesus. You tell me there's no celebration of Christmas in the Bible. I tell you, look at the angels, brother, that came from heaven and they celebrated with joy, praising God for what he was going to do and his son, Jesus. And then they return back to heaven, the Bible said. It's another reason that we should celebrate. Third, I think we should celebrate the birth of Jesus because it was important to mankind. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 15, it says, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that had happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Folks, where are the sheep? What, what have the shepherds done with their sole responsibility on earth? They've left it behind. They, they are consumed with this great birth of Christ. They're amazed by it. And so they go for themselves and they see firsthand. 
they leave those sheep behind and they go and they tell everyone that they see that Jesus has been born. That they have found the Messiah. It was just as the angels had told them. I want you to see we should celebrate Christmas because the birth of Jesus was important to mankind. It affected these shepherds in a mighty way. Lastly, I want to see you to see that we should celebrate the birth of Jesus because the birth of Jesus had a lasting impact. Had a lasting impact. Matthew chapter 2, if, if you don't mind turning, you, you don't have to. But Matthew chapter 2, uh, just I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? I'm going to skip down to verse 11. It says, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, we'll cover this in a week or so, but when the Magi show up, it, it's, it's, it's not most likely the day of Jesus' birth. Uh, if we start doing a little bit of biblical math, we find out they're probably there like a year or two years later, something in that time frame. And, 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 and that's important. It means that the birth of Jesus had a lasting impact. These men continued to travel. They continued to show up. And here, even as Jesus is not necessarily a baby, but now maybe even a toddler, they're still bowing down and they're worshiping him, presenting him gifts that only a king deserves. Okay? It's a big deal. It had a lasting impact. That's why we should celebrate Christmas. And so I, I, I would I would say this. I, I would begin by cautioning um, any of you that might have grown a little skeptical, skeptical about celebrating Christmas. I, I would just begin by saying that the birth of Jesus is a big deal. It, it was a big deal and it continues to be a big deal. And so I understand that it's easy in, in the consumer society that we live in to grow a little hard and a little skeptical. But I would just challenge you to study the scriptures and, and see that the birth of Jesus is a big deal. Therefore, celebrating the birth of Jesus should probably be a big deal. OK, so I, I, I would start there. It shouldn't be so easily dismissed. Now, what about what about this day? What about what about these shepherds? What about these sheep? Let's look at that together. OK, uh, so was the 25th just chosen by Pope Julius to replace a pagan festival? Remember, the argument is that he did that in 385. Okay, so let's let's see together. Uh, and, and here's how I would answer that. I would just answer that by saying no. The, the tradition for dating Christ's birth is December 25th actually predates Pope Julius by nearly 200 years. Okay. So, so we said, well, well, it was all this Julius guy's fault, and he just wanted to get rid of this festival. Well, actually, we have documented proof that somebody believed that Jesus was born on December 25th, almost 200 years before Pope Julius ever came on the scene, and, and, and his name is uh, Hippolytus. I want you to see uh, what, what he did. Hippolytus wrote a commentary on Daniel, and in his commentary on Daniel, he just lists plainly... Uh, the December 25th is the birth of Christ, and that was written somewhere between 200 and 212 A.D., which means that it was written 175 to 185 years before this declaration by Pope Julius. Friends, that's significant. 
200 years, and here's why it's significant. Hippolytus didn't have the same motivation as Julius. Let's say Julius really did want to stamp out a pagan festival. Let's say that was the case. He said, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to publish this documented date of, of the 20th. Let's say that, that was his motivation. But that's not this guy's motivation. It's 200 years earlier. It has nothing to do with it. Hippolytus is just writing a commentary. He's studying the scriptures of God, and he's just trying to, 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 to plainly present them to others. And I want you to see what he writes in this commentary of Daniel. This is what he says. He says, for the first advent of our Lord in the flesh when he was born in Bethlehem was December 25th, a Wednesday, while Augustus was in his 42nd year. Just plainly stated. Just, just, just plainly stated. It's kind of a big deal. I want you to see someone else. Great, great preacher. Uh, Golden Throat uh, was his nickname. Early church father. John Chrysostom also believed that December 25th was, was the date uh, that Jesus was born. And he actually had two reasons, and I'm going to walk you through them. Here's the first. Here's the first. Uh, he, first, he turned to, to the birth of, of John the Baptist, and that's in Luke chapter 1. So let's turn there and read that account together. Luke chapter 1, starting in, in verse 8. It says, uh, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. Now, he was chosen uh, by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple... Of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing in the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel uh, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and, and the disobedient to wisdom and righteousness and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Um, this goes all the way down through uh, through verse 26, okay? Um, it says, by the way, in verse 23, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. Okay, so after he comes home, she gets pregnant. And for five months remained in seclusion. Said, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now get verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph. So here's the deal. Let's do a little biblical math. All right. So in, in Mary gets pregnant in the sixth month of her cousin's pregnancy. Okay. Well, when was that dated? Well, here's the deal. What is Zachariah doing? He's burning incense in the temple of the Lord. We believe that this is the day of atonement, friends. That's Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the most important day in, 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 in the nation of Israel. Okay. And it, it's the day of atonement where they're making offerings before the Lord. And they would, they would tie a little belt around Zachariah and he would go in and make the offering and people are freaking out. Now, here's the day. Just follow me. So the day of atonement is, is always Late September, and it can, it can edge into October, like October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, sometime. So it's late September, so I want to walk you through some math. Now it says he returns home from his duty, and he and his wife become pregnant. Okay, so we begin in late September, ready? Late October, late November, late December, late January, late February, uh, 
March, April, May, June. Late, late June. Mary becomes pregnant. Okay, six months in. So Jesus would be born six months after June. Late July, August, September, October, November, December. Just saying. It's what Christism believed. It's one of the things that he based his biblical evidence off of. He said, listen, when you study the text, text seems to point to a December date, even if you can't believe it. All right. I'll give you the second argument he had. And here's the second one. He based it off of Cyril of Jerusalem. Cyril of Jerusalem uh, was, was uh, also a, a father of the faith. And Cyril, uh, supposedly through Julius, actually had uh, access to the census records. The, the original census records, which, okay, and everybody said, well, I'd I prove it. They don't exist anymore. It's like all other old documents. They're, they're gone. But evidently, according to Cyril of Jerusalem, the census records actually showed that Jesus was born on the 25th. Now, again, we can be skeptical and we can just, just say, why, why, well, these guys, they, they had reason to make it up. I, I don't see the reason personally. But, but I just want you to see that this is, this is, this is what he's basing it on. And you say, okay, well, fine, Pastor. Okay, maybe I can believe that. But what about, what about the sheep? I mean, that's the big objection. It says, while, while shepherds, Luke 2 8, while shepherds were, were watching their, their sheep in fields nearby. Okay? What, what about the sheep? Well, uh, sheep were usually brought in from the wilderness during the winter months. You're absolutely accurate, okay? However, read Luke 2 8 carefully. What does it say? Luke, Luke 2 eight. let's just read it carefully. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields. What? What, is, what does your version say? They're living out in the fields where? Did it say they were living out in the fields in the wilderness? No, they were living in the fields nearby. Evidently, the shepherds were right next to Bethlehem. They were, they were right there. They were just out in the fields right outside of Bethlehem. That's why the angels show up. They go and they find the baby. Jesus is there in the manger. There's something interesting about uh, that nearby, uh, those nearby fields. In his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, Alfred Edersheim uh, describes a set of special fields where the sheep that were meant for temple sacrifice were kept. These were the, 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 the pure and the blameless lambs that were going to be used in temple sacrifice. And he points to two passages from Micah and, and a passage from the Mishnah or the Jewish oral tradition. And so I want to walk through those with you right now, if you don't mind turning to the book of Micah. Uh, Micah chapter 5, uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And so, so again, he's saying out of Bethlehem. So, so we begin there. We know it's Bethlehem. That's where the Messiah is going to come from. But then he also points to Micah four eight. Micah four eight says this: As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. The kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, now this watchtower flock, we're not talking about the Jehovah's Witness. That's not what we mean. Uh, when we talk about the watchtower flock, it, here's the term. It's called the the Migdal, uh, the Migdal Eder, or the Tower Flock. This is what he discovered in the Mishnah. In the Mishnah, in Jewish oral tradition, there was actually a flock that was kept near Bethlehem that was called the Migdal Eder, or the Tower Flock. And these were the lambs that were meant just for sacrifice. 
And, and they were kept in the fields right next to Bethlehem year round, even in February, which was the coldest month. The shepherds would be there guarding these. Now, why would the shepherds be with these? Because they had to remain blameless and pure. They took extra care. These are like, you know, I don't know. These are the CIA of the shepherds. I mean, this is the high security area for shepherds. These are the best of the best. They're making sure that nothing happens to these sheep because they've got to be pure and blameless. And I want you to picture this. The angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds that are guarding and watching the pure and blameless lambs that are meant for sacrifice. And the angel of the Lord shows up to these shepherds and says, no, the true lamb of God has been born. The true lamb of God, the real perfect one has been born and he is in Bethlehem and you need to go and see. And so they rush off and they go and they find Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Now, why is all this important? I would say that it's important because the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, God breaking into humanity in order to become our sacrifice is a big deal. It's a big deal. The incarnation is huge. That means that Christmas is huge. Now, listen, do we know for a fact that it was December 25th? Can I prove it to you? Absolutely not. Can't. But I would say this. I think the biblical and the extra biblical evidence make a strong case. I would say that it makes strong enough case that you should probably put any skepticism or doubt aside. That when anyone says to you, well, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas, you can look at them and say, well, actually, the Bible kind of says that the birth of Jesus is a big deal in the history of humankind. I think I'll continue to celebrate my Christmas. Thank you. It's a big deal. So what do we do? I just got one application point for you, okay? Here's what my challenge to you would be as you actually study biblical evidence of the birth of Jesus. This is what I would challenge you to do. Make the birth, allow the birth of Jesus to be significant to you and your family. Allow it to be a big deal. It was a big deal. It is a big deal. Make it a big deal. And you say, well, pastor, how do I do that? How do I make Christmas significant in, in the midst of all the other stuff going on? You know, I told you, there, 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 you know, people, people ask literally, can I put up a Christmas tree? Is that okay? I heard, I heard putting up a Christmas tree was, it was, a Christmas tree was a pagan idol, right? Maybe you haven't heard that. People actually believe that, by the way, and, and they base it off of Jeremiah 10. And I, I'm going to turn there and share with you this passage. And, and then we're going to read it in context. And again, once you're, uh, once you kind of know what's going on, you can look at those people and say, dude, you take the Bible completely out of context. But Jeremiah 10, uh, starting in, in verse 1, it says, Hear what the Lord says uh, to you, O house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the sky, though the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the people are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. Now, let's just start right there. Does any craftsman shape your Christmas tree with a chisel? Okay, just just let's let's keep going. They adorn it with silver and gold. People would say, well, that's the tinsel. That's not what they mean. They mean they make it into a shape, into an image, and they pound the silver and the gold into it so that it stands as a wooden idol wrapped in silver, wrapped in gold. Okay, 
uh, so it, it will not totter. Uh, like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They cannot do any harm, nor can they do any good. Uh, and, and, and it goes on and on and on. And so what is, the, what is Jeremiah talking about? Jeremiah 10, he's talking about these things like these Asherah poles, these things that they would cut down a, a big tree and then they would chisel out a graven image and then they would adorn it and cover it and wrap it in silver and gold and pound it out. And then they would set it uh, up in a high place and they would bow down to it and they would worship to it. And they would make sacrifices to it. And God says, don't do that. But is that what you do with a Christmas tree? Do you make sacrifices to it? Do you bow down to it? Do you worship it? Here's what I'm going to say to you. Can you put up a Christmas tree? Absolutely. But make it significant. How do I do that, Pastor? Let me, let me just share this with you. You don't have to do this. You can take it as far as you want. You can stop wherever you want to. But put up your tree this year. And remind the kids what kind of tree it is. We put up evergreens. Those are the only kind of Christmas trees there are. The only ones that we put up. What's the point of an evergreen? You know, they stay green forever unless you cut them down or there's a drought of historic proportions. But those trees will pretty much live forever and ever and ever, right? So Jesus makes all things new. Their, their leaves are always uh, going to stay there. They're, they're, they're beautiful. Um, what do we think about those evergreens? What does that remind you of? Well, it reminds you of eternal life that can only be found in Jesus Christ, right? You think about the lights on the tree. Daddy, why are we hanging lights? Well, we're hanging lights because Jesus is the light of the world. Right? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made that have been made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. That life was the light of men. Jesus is the light of the world, darling. And when you look at the beautiful lights that we put on the tree or that you put on the house, they're not just supposed to be pretty. They're supposed to remind us that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So run up that electricity bill, folks. All right? God is light. Jesus is the light of the world. What about the star? I know some of you like a bow. Maybe you like to put an angel. Put that star up there. Why? Because it reminds us of the wise men. You just tell your kids, you know, wise men still seek Jesus from afar. They still seek him out. That's what our family's about. We're going to put him first. We're going to seek him in everything that we do because we believe that to be true wisdom, right? What about the gifts? This is where people go nuts. Why do we give gifts? What is that about? Because Jesus is the greatest gift of all. We give gifts because God is the giver of every good and perfect gifts, and we're giving you gifts as a representation of the great things that God has given unto us. We're now giving some unto you because we love you and our love for you is just a glimmer of the love that God has for you. Okay? Now that means you can't go nuts. It means you shouldn't go in debt. Okay? It means that the gifts, in my opinion, should probably be from you, not the guy in the red suit. We make it significant. We make it important. We celebrate Christmas. Because the Bible boasts about it. The Bible boasts about it. 